Welcome to a Lunch with Biggie, a podcast about small business and creatives sharing their stories and inspiring you. My guest today uses his world travel culinary experience along with his time with James Beard and Michelin Kitchens to provide his customers a snout to tail butchery. He is the pigsmith behind Hinkley's Fancy Meats. Please welcome Matt Hinkley. What's going on, Matt? Hey, how are you, man? It's great to see you. Great to see you, man. Thanks Thank you so me. much for having lunch with me. I really appreciate it. Um, obviously, first question always, what's your go-to lunch favorite sandwich? Oh, man. That's a... Uh it's like picking a favorite kid. Yeah. I got to go beef on weck. Yeah. I come oh. by it, honestly, from the area. So yep. um, I think there'd be a lot of disappointment if I said anything else. It's kind of crazy when that happens, right? When you kind of like feel like you have to say a certain answer. Um, it's funny when some people even feel that way with even talking with me and they're like, well, I don't really like sandwiches for lunch. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it. I'm like, it's okay. So I totally, uh, I totally understand that. But beef on weck, yes. Do uh, you want to tell people a little bit about beef on weck? Obviously, I, uh, I enjoy, I get to eat and enjoy beef on weck mostly because of you, because I don't. Um, it's a buffalo thing, and uh, and tell people a little bit about it. Yeah, it is. I, I probably should tell people about it because yeah. if you're not from uh, Buffalo, Niagara Falls area, or some Western New York. Uh, you, you probably don't know about it. It's ubiquitous in that area. It's yeah. everywhere. You see it on, you know, in gas stations. But uh, outside of that area, it's it's they're really difficult to find. Um, and it's uh, th- there's not much to them. It's kind of one of those sandwiches. It's uh, greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Um, the name Weck is uh, kind of shorthand for uh, Kimmelwick, which mm-hmm. is the roll. Um, the roll we have uh, Old Hearth make for us uh, as a local bakery here in town, and it's very similar to uh, like a Kaiser roll. Yeah. Um, and it's got like a uh, real crusty, um, like sea salt and caraway seed on the top of it. And then inside is just uh, uh, cook um, Eye of Round Rare um, with just salt, salt, pepper, uh, and then roast it. Uh, shave it thin, fresh grated horseradish, mm. and then a uh, dipping like an au jus, yeah. um, and and that's it. And it sounds like real, real simple, but there's there's uh, there's a lot going on in it. And uh, if if you had it, you know. Yeah, it's delicious. And did you know? And you probably do know this, obviously. Uh, but I always find the story interesting and in how people come up with certain things. And the big thing for that particular sandwich was the fact that it was op- it was started by a bar. Do you have you heard this story before? I, I don't think so. Okay, so, so from what I've heard, folklore of how this whole happened was it was opened by a bar. Bartender realized, and obviously most bars know this because they now have obviously food always as an option. But they they wanted to provide something that was simple and quick um, that would be able to be able to kind of keep folks in their bar. And the idea of the the whole reason why he did like kind of like the salt roll uh, with the Kilimanjaro and the seed is because what it makes you thirsty yeah so therefore it kind of created a a simple sandwich with the whole idea that the bread had like the you know had the salt on top and everything so it was kind of like almost like a pretzel type um which then would make you thirsty which then allow you to stay longer and drink more right um and that's kind of how it actually kind of picked up steam um and became so popular in you know in buffalo and everything like that it makes kind of crazy. Makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah, kind of nuts, right? Okay, so enough about that. Let's so let's talk a little bit about. Um, I'm, I've always been. I'm really intrigued by your story. So, because I know that you did a lot of traveling. You were at you know various places. Like I mentioned in the intro, you did. You worked at James Beard and Michelin Kitchens. Um, what led you? 
um, in all your world travel, what led you back to Orlando, the city beautiful, to kind of be like, hey, I want to set roots here? Uh, my family lives here. This is a home. My family moved here in the mid-80s in, uh, on, in the Conway area when it was all orange groves. And, um, you know, this, the, everyone still lives here. And I left uh, for about 12 years and uh, cooked internationally for about half of that and then spent uh, a few years in Miami and New York City um, working in, you know, high-end uh, kitchens, you know, cutting my teeth. And, um, you know, when it came time to open something up, um, you know, I thought that Orlando, you know, uh, was a, a better sort of permanent solution for me than a lot of the other places that I've kind of traveled and worked around. I didn't feel, I always felt like I was kind of passing through those places. Mm -hmm. um, and this feels um, more home to me than, than anywhere else. It's awesome. And then tell people a little bit about what, how you started, like what you, how the process kind of went with like you've coming up with like Hinkley's, Hinkley's fa Fancy Meats, like how... Was it one of those things where did someone approach you or you said, hey, you know what, based on my skills, this is something I enjoy and I want to bring to Orlando or do? How, how did that whole thing come about? Um, I had, well, I mean, it's, it's a long story, but I'll give you the short of it. Um, yeah, because I'm on a lunch uh, break. Uh, uh, <laughs> so um, Emily Rankin um, is a uh, friend of mine that I worked with at um, – Pebbles. Okay. Um, it'll give you an idea of how far back yeah, I go in Orlando. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, I, I was in Miami uh, doing uh, some foraging for uh, Michael Schwartz at uh, Michael's Genuine Food and Drink, going down to the farms and homestead and trying to find uh, product. And I, I saw that Emily was starting a uh, farm to restaurant distribution service here in Orlando and was looking. Um, to meet some farmers and I had offered to take her on the run down in uh, South Florida and introduce her to to uh, some of the farmers down there and um, you know as her you know I ended up leaving Miami and went up to New York but um, we kind of stayed in contact and when I was looking at uh, coming back to Orlando she's one of the people that I um, reached out to because I thought she had a really good finger on the pulse of what was going on in this town because she yeah. was in all the restaurants, you know, making these deliveries and, and the, the type of restaurants that, uh, you know, that, that I, that I'm interested in. So I, I kind of asked her like, what's, you know, what's missing in the town, what market, cause I was either going to come down and do a restaurant, uh, but I hadn't, you know, haven't been in Orlando and, you know, I think the last restaurant that I worked at in Orlando was Gico uh, in the early 2000s. Oh, wow. Um, it said I hadn't been, I, I didn't even know someone yeah. that, you know, I could call to wash dishes. I knew nobody that's, yeah. uh, that was here anymore. So, um, you know, opening a restaurant seemed really daunting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she said, you know, I said, either I'm going to do that or I'm going to focus on meat. She said, there's not a lot of people doing the, you know, charcuterie and, uh, you know, high-end meat. So uh, I, that, that was a much lower overhead, much easier uh, entry into the town. And uh, she had a, a small shop in East End Market and offered to put a deli case in the, in the front of her shop and let me showcase some of my stuff there as sort of a test market. Um, and that made the most sense. I think 
one of the mistakes that uh, I, I shouldn't say a mistake, but you know, because it's good to dream big. But I think a big uh, barrier to entry for a lot of cooks is is the the daunting um, you know overhead of of starting a restaurant, especially if you're coming from you know James Beard Michelin background and, and yeah. you're cooking food that's you know thirty bucks a plate, forty bucks a plate in the restaurant. And you got wine bottles on the menu that are 600 bucks and 800 bucks, and you start looking at the numbers it costs to put together a dining room that is uh, a fitting environment of that kind of food and that yeah. kind of wine, and you know you get into seven-figure numbers pretty quick. So uh, to to come in and, and have an opportunity just to open up real small with that uh, deli case was uh, was an you know it, it made a lot of sense for me to to kind of start small put my finger on the pulse of uh, what's going on in this town and then kind of build the business according to what the needs of the public were rather than what you know my what my vision is and when you did that you basically were like hey i'm going to do this locally for locals but i'm also going to do your from what i understand you're also you were going to you were shipping out um at the time you were also doing like hey i'm going to do like charcuterie you know boxes and type of thing and be able to ship out and send out is that something that kind of kind of how it also kind of thought process wise uh yeah we, i kind of fell into that a little bit because when i first started doing this it was like you know the plan was to to start doing the meats making bacon and then you know selling it to all my chef friends in miami and yeah. and and you know and then by extension here in orlando uh, and then, you know, when I know the code for uh, running a restaurant pretty, pretty well, but it's an entirely different code when you start dealing with uh, the United States Department of Agriculture. And it was, um, I found it to be prohibitive for uh, what I want to do. Um, I have m too many cooking processes to fit into uh, the, you know, the HACCP plans that are required of, you know, that kind of establishment. So. You know, it kind of went down that road for uh, about a year, um, and I got frustrated with it and shifted the model to uh, a model that's the Florida or the Florida Department of Agriculture uh, rather than the, the federal model. Uh, so, being governed by the state, I sell direct to consumer rather than uh, to you know hotels, restaurants, schools, hospitals, um, and it's a it's a lot less uh, restrictive as far as uh, the you know the code goes. So. Um, you know, as soon as uh, we shifted that model and said, hey, we're going to start shipping this charcuterie nationwide, um, it, you know, I focused a lot on the southeastern United States because that's what makes sense if you're putting, you know, if you're shipping meat, you're shipping next day or second day air. Yeah. And uh, what makes sense is for us is to you know, we wanted to keep it kind of local, so we focused on the southeastern United States and UPS ground and built the shipping costs in. Um, and then, you know, I put it up on Twitter, hey, we're, you know, we're shipping nationwide now. And the first response I got was from Sam Sifton at the New York Times saying, <laughs> you know, hey, what's your, what's your best box? And it's like, man, <laughs> you're the first one out of the gate. So, uh we put a box together for him, and then a month later, we uh, we had a request to send a box into the uh, New York Times Holiday Gift Guide, and I I thought that was kind of like uh, like maybe a trial, like yeah. they're going to test it, and you know I didn't hear anything back for yeah. a month, and then one of my customers said, you know, hey, congrats on being in the Times, and you know we th maybe they ran a you know mentioned the, they've mentioned yeah. the tasso ham and yeah. some other stuff you know a few times and. I thought maybe that's what it was, and like, no, you're in, you're gonna be in the gift guy. <laughs> and it was like, all right, well now we got 
you know, problems that you don't expect as a, you know, kind of a fledgling new, yeah, new business. <laughs> you're when like you're, that escalated quickly. Yeah. Trying to figure <laughs> out how to make the phone ring. And, uh, you know, our problem quickly became all right, like, what do you do when the phone stops ringing? Yeah. And uh, was the, the, I was the only one. My wife helped me a lot. Um, you know, and, you know, we had a lot of, uh, you know, growth problems to figure out. Uh, real quick because um, you know there wasn't a lot of time for me to teach other people you know all this technique and everything else because you know in a month we're you know we're shipping a lot of this stuff out so yeah. there's, you know there's a, there's a big learning curve when it, when it comes to a lot of this stuff there's a lot of technical mm-hmm. um, you know cooking technique and stuff that's uh, that's difficult to learn in a day you know so um, I had some people help packing boxes and um, you know, uh, help stuff in envelopes and stuff, but it was by far the most work I've ever done in my life. Yeah. Um, and that kind of gave us, uh, the, you know, the, uh, you know, the kickstart that we needed. Um, but, uh, it, it, it shifted our model to where we're, you know, where our focus was on, you know, building in this shipping for, you know, the Southeastern United States and UPS, it might cost me 15 bucks to ship a box to New Orleans for, yeah when you hit the New York Times, like I ship boxes to all 50 states, a lot of them to, you know, San Francisco, Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and that's considerably more, um, more expensive. And it yeah. got us away from our model of, of being like a local fixture here. Yeah. So um, when the, the spot opened up in East End Market across the hall, from uh, from Emily, we, we jumped on it because it, it afforded us an opportunity to kind of... Uh, get back to um you know being able to to service a community here with uh you know one pound of bacon at a time rather than you know 150 dollar box of of bacon which uh you know is a lot yeah you know so and that was about what in 20 so so just to give you a context of time just to give listeners um you started in 2015 and when you when you found the spot i was about what 2019 is when uh, you found the spot? We, we've been in East End Market now uh, for about three years and uh, four months. Yeah. So, and, uh, so, so uh, yeah, approximately um, two, two, two years or so we so did the shipping. How, so, three, so you did it for like two years and then you were kind of like, um, yeah, let's, let's kind of shift it. How difficult was that? Because obviously, I mean, you were you were probably making money. Obviously, you got reputable, um, and so it, how difficult of a task was that? The, the transition of going from, hey, I want to, I'm doing this, but I really, this was really my original concept of wanting to do because, you know, you wanted to do more local. But then I also, but I'm also kind of curious because you also then said, hey, I don't want to just do, you know, charcuterie. I want to do, I want to do sandwiches. Um, so tell me a little bit about like how that, you know, was that just kind of like a, a gradual process? You're like little by little, you kind of step back from doing more of the, the shipping and, and trying to do, like you mentioned, like, you know, one pound of bacon here versus, versus you know, 150 pound, 150 bucks worth of bacon shipping out. Yeah. When we moved into the market, we, uh, we were doing both yeah. and, um, we kind of went with the ebb and flow of it. And as the, uh, you know, the sandwiches and the deli case started to take off, you know, we kind of waned off of the shipping when we did it up through, uh, the beginning of the pandemic and at the beginning of the pandemic, um, 
you know, we, we, we shipped a box down to Key West, which would normally take a day. Yeah. Um, and it took four. Wow. And UPS doesn't cover anything that's perishable, so you have to have a third-party insurance. And the third-party insurance didn't want to cover it because they considered COVID an act of God. And it's like, are we going to play this game for how long? Yeah. So, I, um, you know, we, we pulled the plug on, on shipping because we couldn't get any guarantees from anybody that any of the product was going to be... Uh, covered by yep. insurance, and we couldn't get any guarantee from the shipping companies that it was going to arrive on time. So it was just a crapshoot putting yep. in the mail. It didn't make sense. So we, you know, one of the the big benefits of starting small and being small is that when things, um, uh, when you're faced with these kind of challenges like we were in the pandemic, you know, it's it's easy to maneuver a canoe, and it's difficult to to maneuver a big battleship yep. and um you know for us to switch a model was uh was it, I, I don't want to say it was easy because what you know that the pandemic wasn't i don't think it was easy on Correct. anybody but um you know for us you know to to shift our model from, you know when we can't eat indoors anymore for us to switch to a model okay we're shipping again um, we just shrink the circle of you know where we're shipping to. It's like okay, we're not shipping in New York anymore. We're shipping yeah. to Orlando, and it, you know that shipping is you know when I say shipping, I mean delivery. Yeah. And um, you know we it was you know easier for us to show up in placement because we had all this New York Times traffic to the website, and you know um, you know when everyone else is kind of scrambling around trying to figure out what to do for online ordering and all these restaurants are turning themselves into grocery stores and trying to empty their coolers out for us. It was like, all right, let's just shrink the bubble of where we're shipping. And, um, you know, we use all our employees to like deliver the food. And, um, it was, uh, you know, it was a switch that we could make in 24 hours because we were small. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes total sense. And I, then I think, um, that's one of those things where you you do i mean you it's sometimes you get so stuck on your ways of how you're going to do business or how businesses are and it's and you're right it's one of those to be able to do the ebbs and flows of it and be adaptable to be able to kind of go with what you're you're looking for um i do find it amazing because of the fact you know it's one of my favorite things about you know because you make you make amazing sandwiches thank you so i'm kind of curious on what you would say is like kind of like your like your secret or what do you think is the secret to making a, a really good sandwich? Um, I think that it's easy to overcomplicate things and, and kind of muddy the water. Um, and I think young cooks in particular have a tendency to do that. And I, I would say that the key for us has been um, sourcing and uh, finding good ingredients and then keeping things really simple and uh, trying to deliver people, uh, deliver to people what they expect. You know, when we put, uh, you know, a beef on weck or a pastrami sandwich or a Cuban sandwich on the menu, I'm not trying to give you my spin or my interpretation or artistic like interpretation of what a Cuban sandwich could be. Yeah. It's a Cuban sandwich is pure and as simple and as like true to what you'd expect it to be as I possibly can make it, you know. And um, I think that meeting that uh, expectation 
and then um, you know allowing the ingredients to kind of speak for themselves is what has given us success what made you is it was it because of the fact that you had the deli case and you already were doing you were doing all deli meats that like you know that kind of made you decide to like hey I want to do sandwiches or was it like hey there's like I, I think there's a need for it I'm I've always been kind of intrigued because with all the fine you know fine dining and everything like that and experience what kind of led you down the path of like I mean, granted, I, I'm super excited about it because I think it's the king of meals and I love what you make, but I'm just, I've am just i always been kind of curious about that. What kind of led you to go, hmm, I think we should make sandwiches here? Um, I, I think there was a need for it. The, the spot that moved out, uh, you know, that, that, that occupied the space that I'm in now was doing um, food, but and then, you know, Emily was uh, doing some food. I don't know if Farmhouse... Uh, had their space yet uh no. they might have still been delivering but yeah, i think so um there wasn't a lot of options um to you know grab a bite to eat uh in the market and so it, you know i think it, it 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 accomplished two things it wanted to give uh you know people some lunch something to eat but uh, more importantly it allowed people to to kind of try the stuff that we have in the deli case um you know in the form of a sandwich so yeah. you know you might not um you know get you know, a pound of roast beef out of the deli case, but you might get a beef on white. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and, you know, I think that from, uh, you know, making the transition, if you want to call it that, from uh, fine dining to um, running a sandwich shop is, uh, I, you know, I, I, I'm still buying the same quality of ingredients. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, that I would put on a menu in a Michelin restaurant or in a James Beard kitchen. Uh, I still have the same kind of relationships with, you know, farms and, um, you know, suppliers that I would have in a Michelin restaurant. And, you know, if I, if I rearranged some of this stuff different on a plate, you know, maybe with some tweezers and a squeeze bottle, I could charge you probably a whole lot more money for it. Um, but because it's in sandwich between two pieces of bread. It's, you know, probably considered more street food, so I can't really get away with it. (laughs) Well, I mean, and what I love about it is, you know, mind you, I think what I what I do love about it is the fact, obviously, like I said, I love the fact that it's sandwiches because you make amazing sandwiches. But the thing that I think that I appreciate is that you're constantly evolving and constantly trying to bring different things because. Uh, yes, like there are sandwiches, but you also have, you know, duck liver pate and you have, you know, all these amazing, you're creating now hand pies. Um, you know, so there you're kind of, you're definitely kind of like, Hey, like, Hey, what's something different that I can use and utilize? Not to mention, like I mentioned in the intro, the whole concept of you doing like from, you know, from snout to tail, like you're really trying to figure out like, what are things that I use? And one of the things that you and I talked about in the past is how you actually sometimes will go to the farms and be like, hey, what's something that you guys are have that's, you know, you guys have excess of that, you know, maybe someone else. And then what can I make out of that um, and create out of that? So um, I, I love that. I love the fact that you um, that that's something that you are doing and providing because you're right. I, I'm more willing. I'm more willing and apt to try something that you're making um, that I've never had before because of the fact that it's like it's more readily available. And it's to me, it feels like it's not as, um, I guess, overwhelming or at least not not overwhelming more. I, what is the proper word um, where I maybe I feel like I can't like I, I wouldn't want to go to a fine dining place, you know, in a sense of like I feel out of place. Maybe. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
I mean, do you get that from some of your customers? Like, hey, I was, I was, I would never have tried this, but if because of you, I'm, you know, because of, because you're making it, I'm having it. Oh yeah, I got it from my own mom. I like, I, I we put a duck liver pate out. We put a huge charcuterie display out at our wedding, and uh, I had a duck liver pate there. And my mom hated liver. She her, when they knew when they were kids that when they smelled it in the house, my grandfather loved it. Yeah, and they knew when they smelled it, they were eating waffles or pancakes or something for dinner because they smelled it. And yeah. they learned. Um, to, to like the smell of it because it meant they weren't eating that and they were getting what they wanted for dinner. But uh, we put it out on a charcuterie board uh, at our wedding and my mom was like, what was that stuff that was kind of like, like it was like a consistency of like a peanut butter or something. And I was like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I was like, maybe the duck liver pate? She's like, no, 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 I don't like liver. I was like, that. it had to be it. And I let her try it at the shop and she was like, oh yeah, that's it. That's the good stuff. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> um, you know, I think that, that some of those pâtés, it's like, you know, when it's, when it's not done right, it, it's cat food. Yeah. It, but when it's done right, it's sublime. And, um, you know, I think that a lot of people can be put off uh, uh, because they haven't had it done right before. And, um, you know, we um, put that out. You know, I, we were we had both the smoked duck breast and the thighs in uh, in the charcuterie box. It was in the holiday gift guide. The thighs in the form of a duck rillette, okay. uh, which is like a duck confit, like a duck leg and thigh cooked in its own fat until yeah. it kind of falls off the bone. We shred it apart um, and then pack it into jars and cover it with duck fat. And you'd eat it like just you know uh, right out of the jar, cold out of the fridge with like pickles and mustard. So we're using the whole duck and we had these, you know, the livers that um, we didn't really have an outlet for. And I was like, oh, we'll just throw it. You know, we need a space filled in the deli case, so let's just throw it in there. And, you know, it started as that kind of experiment. And, um, you know, we sell way more duck liver pate than any other product that we sell. Is by far the, the most popular thing in the deli case, probably three to one, four to one over wow. over bacon. More. And, um, you know, I didn't think that there would be a market for that here. I thought, well, I'm in Orlando. I'm going to get slammed with bacon, and I'm not going to be able to keep up. Yeah. And the weirder the stuff is that I put in that case, the more popular it is. Like, you know, when it, so, yeah, when I call, you know, Broken Arrow Ranch in Texas, and I'm like, hey, what do you got in the cooler, you know, it, oh, you're heavy on antelope parts. You know, send me a bunch of them. We'll smoke antelope parts and throw them in a pate, uh, you know, a country style pate, and people go nuts for it. And it's, um, you know, it kind of helps everybody out. You know, my customers get to try something that's yeah. a little bit out of the box. It's kind of an off off commodity protein that you're not going to find in Publix or Whole Foods, and um, you know, the helps the farm out trying to get rid of stuff that um, you know it's not on you know menus all over the country. Uh, and it gives my cook some an opportunity to play with something they don't see every day, and um, you know I feel like everybody kind of wins. Um, so you know for for us at Deli Case, there's a lot of things in there that's that are staples: the country pate, the duck liver pate, the bacon, tasso ham. They're always going to be there, but we try to mix it up with um, you know other cuts of meat, organ meats, hand pies. Um, because that's where the demand is is coming you know yeah. we didn't exp you know we didn't plan that and that's just you have to be flexible with what you know and listen to what yeah. people want i think david chang's uh flagship uh, momofuku started mm -hmm. off as a burrito joint 
Really? You know? And uh, I think so, yeah. And, you know, they made ramen one day for family meal and offered it to some of their guests. And then they're coming back and asked for it the next day, the next day, the next day. And now you're known for ramen, you know? And yeah. if you're not willing to uh, be flexible like that in, you know, opening a burrito shop and turning it into a ramen shop or open a shop thinking you're going to sell bacon to chefs and end up selling duck liver pate out of a deli case and you know then uh you know the one that you i think that the if there's one thing you could take away from from like listening to podcasts like this and it's probably something that everybody would tell you that runs a small business is like you have to listen to people yeah you know and when you do they'll reward you for it no, I love that. I think that's that's super super accurate. I think the listening, but I also think it's the fact of the being once again like being open to make that change and actually doing what they're talking about. Because sometimes you can, uh, well, you could be very narrow minded and very focused, um, and sometimes that causes that can cause issues. So I totally get that. Um, tell me a little bit about some of like times where you've had situations where things haven't worked out like have you have you had anything that you've come up with you're like oh my gosh this would be great i'm gonna i'm gonna put this on into the case and see what people think um you know where you and then it just does not turn out you're like wow not what i expected yeah sometimes you know and um you know you 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 take the 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 failure with the success we've spent you know a lot of sometimes we'll make a pate on crew that takes you know five days to make and we'll be all pumped about putting it in the case we'll sell three slices of it and throw you know 80 percent of it in the garbage and uh or you know we're all eating it on sandwiches for a week and it's like man took me you know hours to put this together and it's just you know sitting in there and you know um not moving or um you know, but it, it, you know it's tough. It's like throwing darts. You know what I mean? You, you, you kind of figure out what what works, what doesn't work, and um, you know, offer yourself enough flexibility to uh, to uh, to you know make make things happen. You know, I, I I feel like you you almost have to approach it with like a youthful kind of playfulness. And you know, I'm making the I'm making that pate for. Um, the, my customers, my guests, but I'm making it for me too because yeah. I like making it. Yeah. You know, and it, and if if you're you know if you're taking that approach where you're doing things that you like to do too, then um, it, it's it's a lot less disheartening. Even if the end result is we're all eating it, you know, for yeah. family meal or, or pitching out, uh, you know, what what doesn't sell or giving it away to the rest of the staff at the market because it didn't sell. You know, it, 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 you know, you had the satisfaction of making it, right? If if you're doing something you don't like, like that doesn't exist, yeah, and it sucks, yeah. You know, so, um, you know, we try to keep things light, and um, I try to be flexible uh, to, you know, the, you know, the ideas of my staff. If they're like, hey, we want to, you know, try it around, we're playing around with. Uh, you know, different cuts of meat, or can you bring this in or that in? Uh, you know, hey, we want to. You know, can you get us some rabbits or something? You know, I'm. I try to be. Uh, you know, flexible as long as uh, it you know fits into the model. And you know, it, I think in creating an environment where uh, you're able to do uh, things that you know are fun or exciting to you. Um, you know, while you're at work, uh, it it makes the failures a lot more tolerable when, when they pop up and they're inevitably going to pop up. So Matt, is there something like, obviously there's always like 
What do you think is something that a lot of people who don't own a restaurant and um, or own like, you know, have having to deal with food and anything like that? What's something do you think that people don't understand or grasp that you uh, either wish they did or just never they don't really ever consider? I think that there is uh, I, I, there's a lot more going on in a restaurant than I think that people realize. Um, in in Kitchen Confidential, I'm sure you've read it. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Bourdain had a chapter in there called uh, "Owner's Syndrome and Other Medical Animalities," where he kind of spells out the day where you know the dishwasher doesn't show up or or the machine breaks and yeah. you know you got no linen for the day and you know that your meat delivery didn't show up or you know what he just goes through this like massive list of like you know problems that surface every day and um, you know you're you know, running a restaurant is is just constant fire suppression. You're just putting out small fire, small fire, small fire, or liken it to being on a boat when you got a tiny little, that tiny little hole in the boat, yeah. and you plug that hole, um, and you know before it becomes a bigger hole and a bigger hole and a bigger hole. And if you're not constantly, you know, micromanaging, uh, you know these little flare-ups, then uh, you know it goes down and. Um, I think that there's a lot more that goes into it than um, than people realize. Because a lot of the stuff, you know, when you, I, I almost never read any kind of reviews. You know, if I'm busy, I'm doing it right. I don't go and look through Yelp. I, I have, I think my wife read uh, a couple of Yelp reviews like three years ago to me, like when we first opened. And I'm, like I've not looked at it, and you're like well, I'm done. I don't, I don't need to look you know, at these I don't, anymore. I don't ever need to look at it. If yeah. I'm busy, I'm doing things right. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think that it it's like um, you know a lot of the stuff that you 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 see um, in like these forums and stuff, the foodie forums, and um, you know, on, on social media, it's like. Uh, you know, it can be really toxic, I think. You know what I mean? If you pay too close attention to it. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think that, you know, for for me, you know, coming in, just putting my head down, trying to work harder than the people around me, um, and trying to, to uh, be an example of, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, to, to my staff. So it's like... Uh, you know, they're getting something out of this that's beyond, you know, a paycheck. And, yeah. um, you know, I'm contributing something to their, uh, like, potential for, for growth in, in any industry. Yeah. Um, you know, whether I, I like, you know, to think that, you know, working in... And I have super low turnover. I'm really fortunate to have an awesome staff that's been with me for a long time. Uh, for, considering what the, the typical shelf life of an employee is in this industry, I've, I've got it pretty good. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I, I try to bring, uh, you know, an, an attitude where I, like I'm, I'm trying to provide people with more than just a paycheck, more than just coming to work, banging sandwiches out that if you leave this to go do something else, whether it's, you know, running a t-shirt company or, you know, go, going to, you know, medical school, whatever you're going to do, like, um, the, the skill sets that, you know, and the work ethic and the stuff that you pick up is transferable, like, 
anywhere. Yeah. You know, um, I think a lot of the challenges that, uh, that we face um, are, are good, you know, good problems to have uh, rather than, you know, difficult things to overcome. Um, the, uh, you know, I'm only as good as the people around me. And I think that, you know, having, having a team like I do is, a, is I'm owed a lot of the success that we have to, to the guys and girls that are, that are behind me. But, you know, to, to get back to the question, like what, what, um, you know, I think that there's, uh, there's a lot of, of, uh, sort of, um, nuts and bolts, that hold all this together that people are completely oblivious to, yeah. you know what I mean? And a lot of it's in code, a lot of it's in, you know, just the way things are run, understanding, you know, especially for what, you know, a lot of the stuff we do is like, you know, teaching new employees that like, okay, you know, how to keep bacon in rotation. It's like, okay, this is something that's going to take, you know, seven days to cure. And then it's a day to, you know, rinse and pellicle before it goes into the smoker. And yeah. then it's going to smoke for a day. And then it's got to rest for a day before you can slice it. So we're looking at 10, 11 day cycle in that deli case on one product. And we have a rotation of like, you know, 15 products out of that deli case plus different products for the sandwich line. And, you know, we have 200 square feet of, of working space. So yeah. trying to figure out, you know, that rotation that like you're looking a week and a half ahead like you know right now i'm looking at okay what what do i have for cinco de mayo Mm -hmm. you know what do i have for star wars day what are the what are what's lined up a week from now um you know it's uh you know keeping up with 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 stuff like that i think um can, it can be a challenge, especially when it's like you can't. It can't be an afterthought, you know. Yeah, for, you for can't us, just be like, be, yeah, yeah. You know, and um, you know, I think a lot of people just expect it. Like, you, you ain't, you've done nothing but sit around and scroll through Instagram and look at other people's ideas all day. Where's your idea for Cinco de Mayo? Yeah, you know, how come it's not original? Like, yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. So I, I think that it's uh, it can be a it can be a challenge to to um, kind of stay ahead, stay you know, uh, you know relevant in in an industry that is uh changing you know super rapidly um and uh you know it's it's a lot more difficult i think than it appears on on the surface in the book i think uh you know to go back to kitchen confidential it's like that you know dentist that that throws a great house party and someone's like hey man you should open a restaurant and it's like you got the money to do it and they open a restaurant and they don't realize that like everything that's involved in it and i think that's the reason that 80 percent of them fail in the yeah. first three years you know yeah. is it, it's um it's a grind you know and um it, it's a it's a lot of work um you know the uh i think the expectation of um cheap food is um not uh, a uh, it's not it's it's kind of a fake it's a fake number you know, when you go in to get, uh, you know, your fast food lunch and you're, you're wondering why that burger at uh, your favorite fast food restaurant is like four bucks with a drink and a soda and why mine's 14. It's like, well, mine's not, you know, subsidized by taxpayers. It's not, I'm not paying yeah. like, uh, you know, my staff makes good money for, for what they do. You know, it's, uh, you know, we offer 
you know, I'm offering people health care. We're offering, you know, uh, a good starting wage. You make, you know, decent money. We offer, you know, I pay jujitsu memberships for some of them or gym memberships. Um, you know, they eat free every day. There's a, there's a, you know, there's a lot yeah. that, you know, I there's try to take involved. care of them. Well, I mean, you're also, I can. you're also not a processed, uh, you know, and a lot of those is not a processed food. You're actually getting stuff from, you know, uh, you know, certified places where you guys actually want to go to the farm and actually see how the animals are being treated and fed and the whole aspect of it. So you, you know, there's a concerted effort in, in your aspect where you're like, I'm not just buying, you know, frozen patties or something like that. Like I'm actually getting and bringing those things. So with those, you know, I would expect with, with ingredients with, like you said, quality ingredients, I would expect to pay more and and actually get a better and and get something better and, and taste better and feel better when you're eating it. As opposed to, you know, something of like the fast food. Yeah, and I think that's it, is it people, um, you know, they look at uh, the, you know, the, the sandwich and the number next to it. Yeah. You know, and it's not like the sandwich, the number next to it, and the quality of life for everybody that works in that place. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that that's an expectation that, um, you know, needs to, needs to be altered a little bit. And the people that are doing things right and the people that are taking care of their people... Um, like it makes more sense to, you know, to, to, you call it voting with your food dollar, yeah. right? Every, t- every, you get three chances every day. If you're eating three meals a day to cast a vote for the system that you want to support. And, you know, if you want to support, uh, you know, small businesses, people that are trying to do things the right way, you know, it's going to be a little bit more expensive than the, you know, the cheaper system yeah. um, that that's maybe not doing things as, as good as they could be doing it or, you know, has maybe a shareholder in mind as a, yeah. a bigger priority than the people that are actually flipping the burgers, you know. So um, we, we try to do things the right way with regards to the staff. We try to do things the right way with regards to the, you know, the, the animal welfare, the, the farmers taking care of the land. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that all comes with, with a price and, um, you know, we try to keep it competitive, but, you know, my, I've kept my sandwiches within a buck or two of, of uh, where they started, you know, and, uh, you know, the price of meat's gone up quite a bit, 40% in, yeah. in some cases, I think, you know, the bellies that we're buying are like almost six, seven bucks a pound, Wow. you know, uh, and it's, you know, it's tough to walk by those that, you know, I could probably buy it in Publix for half that price. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but it's, uh, y- you know, it's, it's, uh, it can be a struggle, I think, you know, internally um, to figure out, like, you know, where, because everybody wants to do, you, you know, all the right thing all the time. Um, and, you know, trying to figure out, like, where, uh where you can can kind of uh draw a line for yourself is uh can be difficult and you know it's uh i don't think it's difficult from an ethical um standpoint but difficult from like all right and if i'm gonna if i'm gonna get this meat from this farm um you know it's uh, it's gonna make my sandwich 22 bucks you know and i like the farm i like the farmer yeah i like the people uh it's a great product but is someone going to pay 22 bucks for a sandwich? And at the end of the day, if they're not going to pay 22 bucks for a sandwich, then, you know, what, what are your choices? Yeah. You know, you, you find, uh, you find another farm or you find another sandwich. Um, so figuring that stuff out and trying to figure out like, okay, we want to do this kind of sandwich or that kind of sandwich. We've got, you know, this, 
you know, this meat from, from this farm or this cut from that farm and, you know, trying to put it all together um, and, and create a balance that, you know, works for you, works for the farm, works for, you know, the staff, works for, you know, most importantly for the customer. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of like micro decisions that go into uh, what would seemingly, like if you're just looking at it from the outside, it's like, well, you know, why don't you have a meatball sandwich on the menu? You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> you know, maybe we thought about it. Maybe it just didn't work out. It just out. didn't work out. <laughs> or maybe if it is, it'll be something that'll be a special and it'll yeah. come once. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and it goes away or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I noticed that what's one thing I have noticed is that in the recently you've been um, in providing or creating new sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Um, usually it looks like there are a lot of cured meats and stuff like that and kind of creating different flavor profiles. Um, and I, what I love about it is that you're getting quite a bit um, from what I noticed a lot of feedback and a lot of information and once again going back to that co- the, listening to the customer um, using your social media and trying to use that as a, pro- a platform to be able to get some information from the customers on what they want and then create you know being able to then create some things um, for them in different types of sandwiches from what I'm noticing um, more and more I noticed that like you got like you're constantly I think you're up to like 14 I think last time I checked something like that oh the hoagie um, yeah, yeah oh, you're man. creating different you wanna, hoagies yeah there's a uh Man, I had no idea, I mean, no idea that the hoagie was as, uh, uh, there was so many, like, controversial takes on a hoagie. Dude, it's the real American hero. Dude, it is out of control. Uh, you know, I put this, someone, I don't, I forget who, it was a customer of mine that was like, hey man, you gotta go check this Facebook group out, and it was like, hoagie gurus or something like that. And I, I almost never, I almost never do that. You know what I mean? But I went and looked around, and, and man, the, the the amount of opinions on what a hoagie is and should be yeah. is uh, is is wild. You know, it's like it, in in. And people are like, it's like pineapple on pizza, you know, it's not Very okay. polarizing. So you yeah. Get, yeah, you're going to draw a line in the sand. Yep. And the hoagies seem like the same way. So we're trying these different variations of, of the hoagie and just posting it up, you know, just to read a little bit of the feedback. Uh, but everywhere, we did on our Facebook yeah. and our Instagram, we put it in the, in the hoagie group and... Um, you know, let them eviscerate it and tell us how, you know, shitty we are at our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, we've been through, I think, uh, 12 variations now. We have the 12th one running on the menu now to get, uh, you know, feedback from our customers. We'll probably modify that uh, again uh, shortly. Um, and, and we'll probably settle on 13. I think we've probably narrowed it down pretty well, but... Man, black olives on a hoagie is like, that's the pineapple on the really? pizza, man. I had no idea. It's like, you know, you put it up and it's like, here, oh, here's a hoagie. And then you get all these like green barfy emojis. And it's like, uh, you need to get those black olives out of this group. <laughs> it's like, whoa, man. <laughs> hey, I mean, at the end of the day, my, my, my wife and daughter, they love black olives. I'm not a black olives person, but they, they do love it. And, and I'm, I tend to be... You know, obviously, people think like, "Oh, you're the sandwich guy." Like, I, at the end of the day, I'm like, "Dude, whatever, eat whatever you heck you want to eat." Yeah. As long as you like it, and as long, I mean, I may not like it, but you know, if you like it and you enjoy it, you can. And it gets very interesting when you start talking about like, is a hoagie a sandwich? And it, it just that's just like a whole different animal and beast altogether. It's uh, very interesting to me that whole um, 
when you start taking it very, very polarizing. I'm like, dude, it's just food, man. Yeah. Just food. Enjoy it. Just enjoy the food. So I totally get it. What um since I know my lunch break is uh is running kind of we're kind of getting close to the end of my lunch break. What what's one advice or one tip that you would give or um you know or maybe your top 3 little things that you think um every new business owner or someone who wants to start something should uh should capitalize it have or do um you know to make themselves successful. Oh man, I I would say that if possible uh grow organically um don't get buried in debt uh try to to figure it out as you go um you know fail small yeah um and then just grind it out stick to it put your head Um, down and go yeah work harder than the person next to you yeah uh ask a lot of questions don't be afraid to to ask questions don't be afraid to look like a fool um because you will be I was, and I will continue to be. And um, the, there is no success without suffering and failure. So if you're not suffering and you're not failing, then you're not, um, maybe you're not applying yourself uh, correctly. Okay. Um, and I think those, those things are uh, super important. And, um, you know, I think a, uh, it's not, you know, opening small business and, and being successful is not, it, you know, it's not easier than whatever job you have now. It's probably going to be harder, mm-hmm. but it's also uh, a lot more rewarding and uh, all the struggle and all the suffering that it takes to do it yeah. is so worth it. I love it. Love it. Where can people find you, um, follow you, and also obviously eat uh, and enjoy your food? Uh, you can find us in East End Market in Audubon Park here in Orlando, near uh, Baldwin Park and Winter Park. Uh, you can find us on Instagram or Facebook at uh, Hinkley Meats, H-I-N-C-K-L-E-Y-M-E-A-T-S. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's it. That's, uh, that's where we pay I mean, I'm sure we have an account somewhere on like uh, LinkedIn or something. Yeah, we never check. Everyone's got a, everyone's <laughs> got a LinkedIn. Supposedly. We're paying attention on uh, on Instagram, Facebook, so or in Twitter to some. We just post photos on Twitter. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's uh, if you want to complain about sandwiches, you can go to Twitter, and uh, I think that's what that's for, right? <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Either yeah, that but, or some uh, uh, Facebook yeah, board. Can, if you get a if you got a thing for black <laughs> olives, we'll put some hoagie photos up on Twitter, and you can you can go nuts. <laughs> How about it? How about it? I love it, Matt. Thank you so much. The, um, that's our show for today. Thank you so much to Matt Hinckley from Hinckley's Fancy Meats um, for being on, having lunch with me. Um, make sure to definitely check them out. Check them out online. If in the Orlando area, I definitely recommend. If you never had a beef on Weck, great excuse too. Um, if not, by all means, have their Cuban. You can have their pastrami on rye. I can name off quite a few because I've eaten pretty much almost every single sandwich. Oh, the French dip's also very good. Um, I pretty much have had pretty much every sandwich in the menu, so uh, I definitely recommend it. Um, if you enjoyed the show, definitely make sure to subscribe. Definitely make sure to tell your friends, spread the word. Um, if you support, if you want to support me, check out my brand, Deli Fresh Threads. Um, do some shopping. Obviously, you can always you know share that and follow me on all the different socials. Thank you. Until next time, keep eating sandwiches and follow your passion. Thanks, everyone.